everyone, this is Allie from Living Life with Allie and me, my pick disease type So last time we left off, I was basically just getting into um, pretty much my surgeries and how everything was going to take off from there. So yeah, let's just jump right in. So around that time when I was going through... While my mom was pregnant and I was going through all that stuff throughout throughout my life with the whole Neiman Pick disease. Um, like I said, I was getting worse. So um, none of the medications were helping. And the first bone marrow through my brother's umbilical cord unfortunately did not help. Um, so, as this was going on, see, I was, like I said, I was in the hospital from June to January, and due to everything being enlarged due to the Neiman Pick disease, now, let me get into what Neiman Pick is, just so there's a little bit more understanding to um just so there's a little bit more understanding to the disease and how it can affect someone's body so basically um like i said there's three types and a is the um, neiman pick type a is the most harmful to a child as I mentioned before just because um once that child is born they don't make it past infancy and then with type B the type that I have um it is inherent it is inherited um so it's basically involving lipid metabolisms so with this most people can experience a lot of buildup of the lipids in the spleen um, their liver lungs bone marrow and eventually their brain uh, i am blessed right now that it has not hit my brain and all the medications that I am on help just to uh, I want to say just to lessen uh, not lessen so much um, just to help stabilize um, my organs and I'm like on 20 pills twice a day believe me it used to be so much more when I was younger I remember fighting the doctors with like so much about it so um yeah due to the different diseases you know there's different medications for each disease um the prognosis of Neiman Pick disease type B also known as NPDB it's about one-third of affected individuals they have a cherry red spot 
I abnormal T or they have um what's called neurological impairment so this is basically affecting like the brain um so they can cause like neurological symptoms such as dizziness uh vision loss um swelling in the brain all that um usually people with Neiman Pick disease type B now this is a scary part um for my parents and myself as well going through the process and when I was diagnosed with this disease they had told us that um some people with this type usually survive into adulthood uh, so I am one of the blessed ones. Unfortunately, Neiman Pick, like I said, Neiman Pick disease is not curable. There is medications that can stabilize it. And as long as you keep on with the medication and all the routine that goes with it, then it can pretty much stabilize both B and C. Unfortunately for type A, like I said, type A is a little more aggressive, especially for a child who is being like barely born. Um, yes, so let me get into it a little more. Um, like I said, my parents had no idea that I was diagnosed with this until the doctors from the naval hospital where my dad was stationed had said that they needed to take me to Children's Hospital to go see a special bone marrow transplant doctor, which is known as like oncology, oncology hematology, um, you know, that has a lot to do with cancer, but due to this disease being so rare, not a, you know, not a lot of people are oversee this disease so it's kind of hard to I guess see what doctor you need to go to for this disease um, let's see So yeah, with this, you know, I struggled a lot with different types of, just a lot of different types of, um, I don't know, like, hospitalizations, um, I was constantly doing doctor's appointments, all of that. It is um, becoming a little more aware now, now that people are like researching it a little more, trying to find a cure. There is a lot of, um, because I'm part of the Neiman Pick disease from Children's Hospital, so there's a lot of, you know, newsletters going out to me stating, you know, that there's some testing being done just something that could find I guess just to manage it a little bit more which you know is with 
like I said, with these different three types, it is very dangerous to live with and very scary to live with. I know I am scared constantly every day about my disease, but I do not let it stop me from living. So, name pick disease. This um, it is also called ASMD, which is basically acid. Now, excuse me. I always chop this word up. Syphaglominous deficiency. And this is basically a specific uh, asthma acid that is found in the special compartments within the cells called the lysomes. And it is required to metabolize all um, a lipid. So this is like the fats that, you know, this helps the fats break down. So let's just say like, I don't know, you're eating like a hamburger. So a normal body person would be able to break down those fats like as soon as possible. For me, it's a bit harder due to my disease. You know, my fats don't break down how it should. So it's like constantly fighting at my body to like, it's fighting my body to like go like in and out. Um, trying to explain it as much as possible if you can get like an imagination of it so it's just trying to break down all those fats but for me I have so much trouble breaking down the fats that it causes um, many different things to be enlarged and harder for me to absorb so as I mean, I'll get into more detail with demon pick disease um, in the future. But during this time, you know, just because everything wasn't breaking down and everything was so enlarged and, you know, my spleen was so enlarged, everything was like, pushing up against my lungs, causing me, causing me a lot of trouble to breathe. And... So they, the doctors wanted to schedule me for a splenectomy. And for those, for those who don't know what a splenectomy is, basically it is a surgical procedure to remove the spleen. So when, imagine a normal size spleen. Mine was probably two times, maybe the most three times bigger than the average spleen. So that's pretty big, especially since my body is so tiny. I'm like, my height is literally, I wanna say the last time I measured myself, it's like four three. So, Imagine, you know, a little body and you have, like, these 
big, huge, enlarged organs, of course that's going to cause somebody, you know, to have trouble breathing throughout their life. So basically, you know, they did the splenectomy. Um, in ex- doing this, you know, it helps fight infections and filters needed materials, so such as old damaged blood cells, you know, etc. All of that. So once they did the splenectomy, you know, I came out of the I came out of the surgery room, and you know, you try to get up. The nurse, nurses and doctors try to wake you up. They try to get you to eat like a popsicle or ice chips just to bring the patient aware unfortunately i wasn't doing that i was not waking up i was not eating ice chips so due to this um maybe it was the strain from the the um what is it called the anesthesia um, maybe it was just, you know, my body couldn't handle all the stress. Nobody quite knows. But all of a sudden, you know, as the doc- nurses were trying to wake me up, I ended up not breathing. So, you know, I stopped breathing. And this, you know, you have like a young child. And as parents, you know, you're expecting your child to be okay after surgery and to hear that you know, your child isn't breathing, you know, I can only imagine what my parents are going through around this time with all this going on. And let me remind you, my mom was, um, my mom was pregnant during this time. So, you know, a sick child, you know, or I'm sorry, my mom did have the baby around this time because it was 1999. So my brother was born, but you know, and then you have a sick child, you know, and you find out they're not breathing. So as soon as um, the nurses noticed that I couldn't breathe, the nurses rushed my parents and rushed one of these. Um, I had like this nurse that I was so close to, especially because I was always in and out of the hospital. And every time I was like, admitted to the hospital I always requested her she always requested me like she was my all-time favorite nurse so um during this time you know it was not only hard for my parents but it was especially hard for her as a nurse you know as you know we made a like that close bond so it was so nerve-wracking for her as well to you know, she was trying to calm my pants down as well. And then, you know, you have a patient that's not breathing. And then um, they had to, they had to rush all three of them out. And they had to put me into ICU. And for those who don't know who that is, that's just basically intensive, the intensive care unit. And they had to put me in here. And I remember I was well, I don't remember, but I remember my mom telling me I was in here for a, quite a while. Um, I wasn't able to wake up. 
and I remember like as I stopped breathing I just remember having this like and let me remind you I was I was just a kid so as I said I, I just remember having this like bright light like right inside um and it could just been the hospital lights or you know me gazing into the air into the hospital lights but I remember seeing this bright light and I remember my one of my great grandmas who at this time unfortunately during this time too she happened to get very very ill and around the time that I stopped breathing and they put me on a ventilator um my mom told me that she went to go see my great grandma who had also gotten very ill and i remember my mom telling me the first or the last thing that she said to my mom was that and i quote Miha, Alyssa is going to be okay. And then she passed away. So as all this was going on, it was a very difficult time. And I've never told anyone this except for my younger brother. Um he was he wasn't too young, but he was young enough to know what his sister was going through when he was born but i remember telling my younger brother cuz he asked me one time and he asked me if i've ever seen and for those who don't believe i understand completely you know you guys have your beliefs i have mine um but till this day i always believe that my great grandmother was my guardian angel that to bring me back to life and it's so funny because i remember i remember this so well i remember just floating just floating into this thin cloud and talking to my great grandma one last time and just her telling me you need to fight you need to fight me now you can't leave your parents you need to fight and all she kept saying is that i needed to fight and then when my mom told me that she said that i was going to be okay um it wasn't even like it was like the next day my mom said like as soon as my great grandma passed away that I woke up. You know, I opened my eyes and I just remember seeing like all these you know, those bright lights from the hospital. I just remember seeing those waking up and terrified because you know, you have a tube down your throat. So how can you not be like terrified? And I'm a huge believer in faith and I believe my grandmother knew that it was her time to go but I also know that it was 
my chance as you know she gave me a second chance to live that my time wasn't you know done yet so I mean that was a very scary process going through all that especially as a child and from what my parents used to tell me it was a scary time for them as well you know you have a sick child you know and then you have a grandma who's sick and then you're worried that your child isn't going to make it and then to have my mom's grandma tell her that I'm going to be okay you know that's an angel to me that is a miracle I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't believe in that as much as I do so yeah I mean that was like the most difficult time that happened to my mom and my dad and it's so funny I remember telling my brother this and his face just like lit up he lit up and just smiled so yeah that was that was that crazy experience of my life um but on to the next thing so you know after all this time went on you know I went and I got they wanted to try the second bone marrow especially because the first the first bone marrow didn't quite take and they didn't want me to get sicker especially after everything I had just gone through so the bone marrow I got from my brother was working a little bit and this was from the umbilical but it wasn't working as well as we hoped it would it wasn't um the umbilical cord the bone marrow to the umbilical cord was not strong enough so my doctors and my parents decided to give me a break for about like 30 days uh we ended up staying at the ronald mcdonald house until the next procedure uh let's see before you know before the next bone marrow you know there's a procedure where you have to like basically just wipe the body clean you have to make sure that the body is out of all you know just clean cleansed of bacteria and all those bad blood cells so before they could do another bone marrow transplant i had to go through chemo i had to go through radiation so do the chemo and the radiation at the same time you know my immune system was just shocked it was like it was a shock. My immune system became very weak and I was constantly, constantly drained. I was constantly tired. I was, I was just constantly sleepy, you know. Your body's just not, you know, as a kid, your body's not used to all that chemo. It's not used to the radiation. And then let me remind you, I was on like, I don't know, like maybe 30 pills, you know, throughout the 
morning, afternoon, and days. And I used to take them three times a day, different medications. So yeah, that was like not my favorite time during this process. Um, jumping to around 2021, my brother, whose name is Aaron, was he, he was only two years old when I had to have my next transplant. And he, let me remind you, he was the donor. He was the donor for the first transplant, and that was the one through the umbilical cord. And he was also my donor for my second bone marrow transplant. Um, this time, the doctors wanted to do. This time, the doctors and nurses had to take it from my two-year-old brother, so he had to go into a very, very scary procedure room. And you know, like those big, huge needles. Oh my gosh! I was like, when my mom told me this, I felt like I felt so bad because you never want to hear that your sibling has to get poked with like a huge needle, especially you know behind their back, and ha- knowing that your parent has to hold them down just to get the bone meal. So that just that killed me. Like I was so so sad when I had to hear that they had to stick、um, the needle into his spinal cord in order to get the bone marrow. You know, now from someone who constantly goes through pain every day of my life and finding different ways to deal with the pain. I would never, ever wish this on my worst enemy, nor my brothers. If I could, I would take their pain away because they don't deserve it. As a sister, you know, you never want to put your siblings through that pain. So, you know, I wish I could have t- taken the pain. From him that day,、uh, I would have wanted not to put my younger brother through this, but you know, I was only five years old at the time, and he was only two. During the second transplant is when life was a whirlpool of emotions. It was, it was crazy. Uh, during this time, you know, there was still constant hospitalizations, constant medications, and it, it was just a lot during this time. Like I said, it was a whirlpool of emotions. After the transplant, I did. We did end up staying at the Ronald McDonald House again, just to really see how. The bone marrow was gonna、um, process during this time, and、um, the second one did take better, so it was helping me. They did see 
a major change in my results and my blood and my um my lab work so the second bone marrow was taken but due to my immune system being so weak and shy i needed to be on medications for the rest of my life and i needed to um have constant doctor's appointments and hospitalizations i remember that i used to have to get ivid and that is intravenous oh my goodness i remember what is it called and i know you medical people know this it is a treatment so it is um hold on i'm going through my list right now it is an infusion ivag um i had to do this three days out of the week so this took a lot of my time and i was 5 years old so from i want to say kindergarten to first grade i was homeschooled and then once they saw that my immune system was a little more set and everything was okay is when i my parents slowly started to put me through school and everything um intravenous immune globulin so that is also known as IVIG and this is a product made up of antibodies that can be given intravenously through a vein antibodies are proteins that your body makes to help you to fight infections so like i said due to the chemo and the radiation my everything was shot everything was cleared out of my system and after the bone meal they wanted to make sure i had these antibodies to help fight any infections and you think covid was t- is difficult now imagine as a kid at 5 years old wearing a mask and gloves every single day because your immune system is that shot so You know, I get asked all the time, how can I wear a mask every day? How can I, you know, my body is so used to it because that is how much I had to care for myself as a child. That's how much my parents had to care for me as a child, you know, it's constant gloves, um, medication, you know, shots, um, mask, gowns, all of that. They, we all, we had to wear all of that even when they had to come to see me in the hospital they had to wear gowns booties mask sometimes they come in with like some from space that is how shot my immune system was so until next time i will get into start getting into a little bit more about how my name and pick was slowly getting better and processing and um and it will start I will slowly start to explain name and pick a little bit better and 
hopefully I want to share with you guys just a little bit of how my childhood went through after the Neiman pick. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a wonderful night. I'm sorry this uploaded a little late. This is Allie from Living Life with Neiman Pick Disease, Type B. So the last time I left off was basically just me talking a little bit into my past on how I went through some chemo, radiation, how I got into two male, two bone male transplant. Um, like I like I mentioned in my previous podcast, um, my brother who is now twenty one, going to be twenty two in October. He was my donor not once but twice. The first one was through the umbilical cord. And then, due to my body rejecting the first one through the umbilical cord, um, the doctors really just wanted to uh, push me into an, another bone marrow transplant because I was just getting worse and worse. And like I mentioned before, um, I was so bad where I had to go into the the ICU just because I was so bad and then during this time I mean mind you my great grandmother was also very 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 sick uh last time that I was able to speak to her or talk to her I was very very young and I used to always have this constant dream even to this day where I would see my great grandmother in my dreams and I guess I remember her as she was a little more sick, so in, for me she was in a wheelchair, and my big grandmother was from Mexico, so, you know, they have like these knitted blankets, so I always um, remembered that she was wearing this knitted, knitted blanket around her, and I remember she would, me and her would sneak downstairs, and it'd be like super early in the morning, and she would give me like Ritz crackers or cookies right before breakfast, and um, during this time, I was also very sick, so when we were living with my grandparents, uh, along with my great-grandma, um, I think it was we were living there. I could be wrong. Um, I remember um, anywhere I go, you know, always on medications and all of this. But the very last time that like anyone saw her is when me and her were both very sick. And her last words to my mom, my mom was that um, she said, "Miha, Alyssa is going to be okay." And the next morning, I. I woke up, so I mean, me and my mom, you know, we like to consider my great-grandma as, as a major guardian angel for me, um, she was, she had so much faith in the Lord and, and just, you know, miracles, and I think part of that to me is what sticks with me, is that, you know, 
even even though things don't always go the way they should even though um we go through difficult things in life even though we hit these certain obstacles in our life where we feel like you know like what the heck like what's going on in our life like why is this happening to me there's always that um conscious in the back of your head saying don't give up you have a reason to keep going you this is your time this is your life you know and for me that conscious was not only myself but it was my great grandma as well you know um for me i think you know my great grandma gave her life for a reason and if she is you know if she not you know not that she wasn't old and anything but she was getting older and she was getting sicker but to me it's like god and her wouldn't have given me a second chance if they didn't feel that i couldn't pursue it so i mean i think little things like that is where i like to like you know just keep in the back of my head you know there's always that saying you know wherever you go the lord is with you and i believe that is 100% true anywhere though anything that i hit any obstacle that faces me down yes i have my bad times yes i have my negativity you know i have my depression but i always have to think in the back of my head the lord is always with me for some reason and he is putting me through this journey he's putting me through this obstacle he is putting me through this difficult time in my life because he is giving me the opportunity to push forward to push ahead and you know it's true what god says he gives you know the lord gives um his his wars to the strongest warriors and that is absolutely true 100% true so yeah i mean everything like that was going on it's that still goes on t- into my head today um that is one of the major things i will always continue to stick with even during my hard times um you know i just think that you know there's always someone there whether it's you know whether it's family whether it's friends whether it's you know just a stranger it's always good to have someone to talk to um and hey you know if you can't talk jot it down jot it down in a journal you know in a book and just jot it down just to get everything off your mind and i i tell you that will help you so much feel like just like 100 pounds just got lifted off of you so i'm going to jump in a little bit like i said into my new mental disease um just to get a little bit more specific on what it is So, Neiman-Pick disease type B is an inherited condition involving lipid metabolism. People with this condition experience a buildup of lipids in the spleen, liver, lungs, bone marrow, and the brain. Um so like I said, yes, it does hit the brain. Um type A is very very more severe than type B and type C. Type B is it kind of ranges from early childhood to early adulthood. 
so I am one of the luckiest ones, you know, to keep fighting my battle. Um, the signs to Neiman Pick disease typically develop in preteen years and may include enlarged liver and spleen, short statue, problems with lung function, including frequent lung infections, and a low number of platelets in the blood. Neiman Pick disease type E is caused by changes, mutations, or variants in the, in the gene. It is inherited in an autosomal recessive fashion. Treatment is aimed at addressing the symptoms present in each individual. Um, so basically, you know, that's just that's just saying what it is. Basically, right there, um, you do get an enlarged liver. Um, and I, for those who have met me and for those who have seen me, I am very short statue due to the disease. When I was younger, like I've mentioned, even till this, not as bad as today, um, I used to have a lot of breathing problems. So I would remember, um, I remember I would get like constant chest pains. And they would hurt me so, like, so much where it was to the point where I couldn't breathe. And sometimes I would have to be admitted. Sometimes I would have to go to the ER just for oxygen because, like, my inhaler wasn't working. I kid you not, like, when we were living with my grandparents, um, my grandma and my grandmother, we lived with my mom's uh, parents, so, you know, it was me, my dad, um, my brother, and, and then my grandparents, and then, of course, my aunt, Diana, um, she, and I was, um, very sick, yeah, I was very sick, I remember, you know, I was constantly in and out of hospitals, and, Basically, half of our room was like we had like these big old oxygen machines because I couldn't, you know, I couldn't live without oxygen. It was like it was that hard for me to breathe. So my parents and the doctors, you know, we had the doctors had to send home some uh, some oxygen equipment and then I'll, of course the albuterol treatments just because it was that hard for me to breathe. I remember during, um, I, I don't know what, what year exactly, but I remember one day during my treatments, my dad had taken me and I think we were living I'm not sure if we were living with my grandparents still. I don't think we were. I believe we were living... Where were we living? I believe we were living in Whittier at the time. Whittier, California. But anyways, I remember my dad taking me to the the hospital, to that children's hospital of Los Angeles, because I would get treatments at least three times a week for my IVIG. And like I said, I would get really sick sometimes or really tired or really fatigued. And I remember one time, um, the treatment was finished 
you know they have to they have to make sure the patient's okay so they have to sit there for a little while drink a little juice or whatever just to make sure the patient is fine but I remember we all thought that I was good and I don't know if it's because I had a cold or maybe it was combined but my dad and I I was holding my dad's hand because I was so weak and we were walking towards the elevator and I just I I remember feeling so fatigued and so out of breath and I just and um I just remember like trying to trying to talk like trying to speak for help but nothing was coming out and during this time like my my nurse and my uh my nurse and my dad were talking about something and then all I remember is just like fainting and I just remember her catching me and she was a she was a pretty small nurse so I just remember her catching me right before I fell and I just after that like it was all a blank because like just everything just went into a blur like I just felt like this cold air rushing through me and I felt like as if like I don't know I think she was well she was obviously running because she they had to stabilize me but like all during all that time I just remember like just out like trying to speak like trying to yell for my dad and just you just it, it I wouldn't speak um so during that time it was it was pretty scary for me my dad thought I was joking around like I was playing with him but I don't think he actually like noticed notice until like you know until my nurse caught me so I mean I, I, I could only imagine I'm pretty <laughs> that's terrifying for a dad as well especially for being the only girl in my family um so yeah that was that's one of my many fears of experience living without you know having trouble breathing and stuff um during this time you know we were going through a lot not just as medical problems family problems as well but you know just simple things like well not simple complicated things just like you know um I think during this time I don't remember what year but as soon as like I got better and IVIG was working I remember my doctor saying that I could go to school and I was so happy because that's all I've ever wanted to do is just go to school and just you know try to be a normal kid I mean who doesn't want to be a normal kid but um I remember when my parents were getting ready to enroll me I was walking through the hallways and I met um I met these two girls and they were just so cool it was so nice you know about everything you know they didn't really they didn't really tease or anything so we became like instant best friends during that time and this was like about I want to say this was like second grade so it was like a while <laughs> it was long ago but um during that time like we became friends you know we started hanging out every day and then you know life goes on life is moving on um we lived in this small house it was so cute though I love that house and uh, we lived in a small house in Whittier and it was me my dad my brother and then around 2004 is when 
it's like 2000, 2003, 2004, my mom became pregnant. And then around February of 2004 is when my mom had my younger brother, Nick. And it was so funny because it was um, me and my cousin were, um, what were we doing? We were watching movies one time in my room. And we were watching movies. And I think, I don't know what we were doing. We were just watching movies. And my mom was laying in her bed. And I just remember seeing my aunt and my cousin rush to her because she was going into labor. So... You know, he was he was ready to pop out. He just he, he couldn't wait. He just wanted to come into the world. But I remember that and I remember like just seeing all the commotion. I was like I remember asking, Mom, are you okay? But you know, I was gonna ask for you when they're trying to get my mom into the hospital for the baby. <laughs> so yeah, that was going on and I just remember we were waiting and waiting and waiting. And then finally, finally he was born. My little Nicholas, my little knucklehead of a brother, was born into the world. And I remember me and my other brother, Aaron, we just, we were so happy to have another sibling. I know I was happy. I was so excited. And um, me and him are still close today. He's... Um, I consider all three of them my brothers. My, I consider all three of my brothers my best friends. But um, my brother Nick, I can go to him about literally anything. And he will not judge me. He is always there for me. And I am such a proud sister. I'm proud of all of them, all three of them. But, you know, after that, you know, going on through the years, you know, um, I wasn't getting sicker. I was pretty stabilized. Like I said, I had treatments about three times a week. So I would have to miss, like, partial days of school just because I'd be so tired most of the times. And I remember one time I had to go, um... I had to come back the next day because they had to give me another treatment just because my platelets and my blood levels were, I believe they were a little too low, so they needed to give me some more antibodies from the IVIG. So they asked me if it would be okay to go to school with an IV in my hand. And, you know, I'm pretty careful with my IVs. I'm pretty gentle with them. I'm pretty like cautious when it comes to my IVs and stuff. But I was so terrified going to school because I knew if it would like get bumped or hit by another kid, like it was just gonna be awful. Like you don't wanna go to school and then you get hit and you have like this IV hanging out of your hand. Like, that's scary, especially to another kid. And then I think I was mostly worried about getting teeth as well. Just because, you know, that, you know, can be a little cruel sometimes. But um, I think what made me feel better during the time when I came home was my, was my four best friends. So it was my friend, 
Desiree, my friend Sydney, are actually three best friends, I guess, yeah. So it's my friend Desiree, Sydney, and then Elijah, but he's kind of like off and on friends with us, you know, he had his own little group of friends. Um, so now, you know, the three of us would hang out, the four, uh, or even the four of us, um, but the one person I was closest to was, uh, Sydney because she understood the medical, you know, just the medical stuff that I was going through because she had a heart condition. And I believe during that time, I want to say it, she was on maybe like her second or third heart surgery. I don't quite remember, but it was somewhere around there. So, you know, during the in and outs of the hospital, she was the one person I can go to during this time. And, you know, things happen, kids drift apart as you move on. So around, like, during the third or fourth grade, our other friends started, you know, drifting away and hanging out with these other girls. And those other girls, let's just say I didn't get along with them too well. Um... One of the girls, I don't know, she was just, she was, I don't know if she wanted to be mean or maybe she was just going through her own stuff at the time. So I tried to ignore her the best that I could during that time. And I wouldn't really go home and tell my parents about anything because she didn't like, you know, bully bully me. But it was also, it was kind of just like a physical bulliness. Or, I mean, not a physical, a mental bonus, emotional. Um, I remember one time we had to go to PE, and I had to go to the to the restroom. And I couldn't really do PE during this time, just because, like I said, the, the Neiman pit can kind of cause my breathing to decrease or mess with my lungs. So they had me do, like, a special independent PE on the side. But um, I just remember one time I was going to the bathroom and the three of them were following, not just me, but my friend as well. And I was like, well, why, you know, like, what the heck, why are they following me? What did I do? And I think it was like, I want to say the fourth grade. It might have been the fourth grade. And she followed me and I just remember her like, like she she wasn't like a big hefty girl but she was on the bigger side she was a little you know thicker so and here I am you know you got tiny me and short statue so it's kind of hard for me to defend myself and I just remember my other friend waiting outside for me so she we usually walk to PE together and I remember her um walking or like not locking, but holding the bathroom stall shut. Like, I couldn't get out. So, like, she wouldn't let me open the door. So, um, I wasn't, like, scared just because, you know, it's a bathroom. But she was being kind of, you know, like a bully. She was being a creepy bully. So, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to let her get to me and, like, let her win. So... What I did was, and I don't think she knew I was going to do it, is I threw my shoe to, like, not threw my shoe, but I kind of, like, went under the stall to the other stall. 
and then she thought I was over there and then I went through the other stall and I like literally just like ran out of the back into my friend but I was like you know like I was like like what the heck did I ever do to you like I didn't even do anything you know we weren't ever friends she was mostly she was mostly friends with our other friend that kind of drifted away from us but you know I mean friends drift so I mean I didn't really take it personal it's just um I remember crying one time because I don't remember exactly what she said but she said something mean to me or hurt my feelings and you know I thought we were you know you think at second I mean at third or fourth grade you think that's your best friend but I just remember her saying something mean and me like going to the other side of the wall and like crying and then my other friend just like coming to check on me so I mean you know I didn't have like a two month difficult time during elementary it was okay not to mention like I I had cousins that went to school with me so I mean if there were ever was like a major major bully like someone that was like really pushing me around or something like I would obviously tell them because I know like they had my back like 100% of the time they had my back um but no I mean after like doing all that like me and my best friend at the time you know we were hanging out having fun you know living life um and then I want to say around after fifth grade is when me and my parents and my two brothers at the time were we're getting ready to move you know we had some complications so we needed to move and we moved actually just because we um you know my my mom needed help with the boys my parents didn't help with the boys and me and taking care of me and watching over me so we moved to no I think it was Riverside no Paris we moved somewhere up there and during this time I wasn't in the greatest health I was okay wasn't the greatest um I was getting ready to start middle school and you know we had this plan uh we had this plan everything was you know good to go we had moved up and I kid you not it wasn't even like the second night at the house. I don't think it was like this. It was probably like this. Maybe the third. I don't even. I even barely remember that. It's like I think I want to say it was like the second or third night at the house. It wasn't even a week. I know that. And the most terrifying thing happened. I remember, you know, we barely moved in. You know, so nothing is fully unpacked or in its place or has its own thing because you know we just moved into this new place and my parents are still working a little further a little farther like my dad was working in the LA county or LA area and my mom was working I want to believe in the Long Beach area so I mean during this time you know they were both going back and forth to work and I remember I remember one night my 
my mom, my grandma gets a call from my mom, and I, I just see my grandma's face, and all I remember thinking is, oh dear lord, what just happened? And it was a phone call saying that, sorry, this always makes me a little emotional just because I'm very close to my parents. Um, I remember my mom talking to my grandma saying that my dad was in a really bad accident. And I just remember thinking, because I had my brothers by my side and my younger brother, Nick, he was still, he wasn't a baby, but he was still a baby. And my brother Aaron, he was going I think he was going into the third grade? Either the second or third grade, I'm not sure. I think it was the second or third grade. Um, so they were younger, you know, the big sister, you know. So I just remember thinking, don't cry, don't cry. You have your brothers here, you have to be strong for them. And I just remember that I was terrified. Like, I, I thought it was, like, I thought something was going to happen to him. I thought I was going to lose my dad that day. Um, but I remember afterwards, um, my mom had said, or my mom had later on mentioned that, my mom and dad mentioned that he was in a car accident, but he was okay. Um, they, my, he had, he had crashed his car, like, you know, in those, those light wooden poles in the LA area, he was super tired, and he had worked the graveyard shifts during this time, you know, he, he, you know, they had a sick child, so, you know, the sick child, you need medications, and, you know, so they were, you know, they were taking care of that, both my mom and my dad. And I rem- um, just remember thinking, you know, I hope he's okay, Plenty's okay. But when he was in his car accident, he totaled the car. Like, it was, it was totaled. It was, it was just bad. It was really, really bad. Like, some people, some, I think it was the police officer or... I remember my dad saying that somebody had told him he don't he doesn't know how he made it out alive. But my dad had said that he had pulled himself out of the car, um, basically like you know just dragging himself out of the car. So my dad had pulled himself out of the car, and when we went to go see him, I just remember. He had bruises, he had cuts on his feet, a couple on his legs, a few on his arms, and basically they had to take him into surgery because he had broken his hip during this accident. So he needed a hip replacement. So that was a scary time for me. my dad 
you know, like I said, he's my best friend. I'm close to my mom and my dad, so I consider them both my best friends. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just wanted to get into a little bit of my life story, into what was going on, into my past. Uh, I think during that time, it had to been the most difficult for me. And my brothers, you know, they were young, but I'm pretty sure they had feelings as well. A lot of scary, scary feelings. Um, during this time too, you know, my mom and dad were going through their stuff. You know, they have a sick child. You know, I got two kids. You know, my dad was in this accident, and my mom. Was... So there was a lot going on during this time. A lot, a lot. Um, yeah. See you guys on the next podcast. Hey everyone, this is Allie from Living Life with Pick Disease Type B. Last time I left off, we were just basically talking about my father's car accident and everything that was about to change during this time. Uh, so yeah, during this time, I had to be maybe 2006, I want to say, is when he was in his car accident. Um, little did we know that wasn't going to be the only scary thing that we had to face in life. Uh, so, you know, during this time, my dad was in the hospital trying to get better. Eventually, they did let him home. But it was so scary just because, you know, my dad was on the crunches and, you know, he had, like, staples in his legs and his feet and then he had... He just had a hip replacement. So it was, you know, there was a lot going on for my parents. Not to mention, you know, they had like three kids during this time. Uh, It was, you know, a couple months was very hard. And there was, there was some good days and there was some bad days. Not just with my uh, not just with my parents, but with my disease as well. And, uh, during this time, I remember I was getting, or we were getting ready to register me for middle school, for junior high. And it was like the second week of school, and I remember walking in, you know, you know, it was was getting ready for school. Uh, I walked into my middle school class and I remember my middle school teacher so specific because I don't know if anyone has ever seen this movie, um, Mr. Clark, with, um, oh my gosh, what's his, what's his name? Matthew Perry from Friends. Um, he looked, my teacher in middle school looked exactly, exactly like him. So it always kind of reminded me of the movie, Mr. Clark. But I remember walking into the classroom and um, I remember there was some some kids that were like looking at me a little weird, looking at me like, who is she? I've never seen her before. 
you know, just kind of like, you know, and let me remind you, like, due to my disease, I have a very enlarged liver, so my stomach isn't as normal, it's abnormal, so it's, it, it has these days where it gets swollen, and I like to explain it like a basketball, because that's literally what it looks like, is it looks like a basketball when it's like super swollen, so, I mean, it was, you know, when I walk a lot or something like that, there's just so much pressure onto my belly area that it swells. So that's pretty normal for me, even till this day. But during this time, you know, um, I was going into middle school and, you know, I have like these girls and these boys giving me like, these these dirty looks like they were like the dirtiest looks I've seen not that I haven't seen worse but it was just like the most dirtiest looks like you don't even know me what but you know me I walked in there and didn't care you know I was shy at the time so really didn't say anything or talk to anyone much but um it was like maybe like the fifth day of school and this younger this younger boy walks up to me and I remember he you know him and this girl I don't remember their name but they both um just started talking to me and they started becoming my friends and stuff and we started talking we started hanging out a little bit no, so I was getting into the, I was getting into the whole middle school routine. Um, I was, I don't remember if I was doing, I remember complaining going home. I went home like twice because I was having complications. My school was like on this hill, so I remember having complications trying to go from class to class um during middle school um and um sometimes I would have to go home early so um my doctors and my parents and I agreed that I would do a half day at school and a half day at home just to ease my body a little bit and not put so much pressure on it so we were getting into that and I was doing okay I had an awesome homeschool teacher she was amazing she was so funny too she was so talkative she like always talked to my grandma or my dad or my mom so it was like she was just so funny and you know I was doing okay with that it was a little bit easier um I know it's gonna be I'm gonna be uh, I'm not embarrassed of it it just it was always happening during this time, but, you know, you're like, what, like 13, 14 during middle school, and, um, my mom and dad would get so mad at me, because, you know, you're a 13-year-old girl, and you're wetting the bed, and, you know, I thought it was because I was having night terrors or something, but it wasn't, you know, it was something more serious because I was like, I wasn't wetting it just like 
just because I was scared or afraid or trying to get it was something more but you know we just didn't know what it was I didn't know what it was um but one day I remember uh I don't remember very much of it I just remember details that like you know I was soaked like soaked as if I had a night terror I was soaked so I got up you know took a shower got ready for school and this day I remember so specific I got dropped off at school and it wasn't even I think it was like my second class I think it was like my second period Mr. Clark and I remember walking up that big old hill to get to this class and I had trouble breathing and I was like okay maybe I just need to take a rest you know I have that extra time they already gave him my accommodations for this you know so I I had the extra time to get to the class but I was always the type of person who was like you know I have to be in class so but I remember I took my time and then I remember we had this like gate that went up to the hill so I remember grabbing on to the gate just because I was so out of breath like I literally could not breathe like I couldn't catch a breath my inhaler wasn't helping it was just so hard I remember grabbing the gate and fainting that's all I remember I just remember fainting and next thing I know I was in the nurse's office and I don't remember if there was an I don't think there was an ambulance but I know they had to call my grandma to come and pick me up and then um I remember I think I was taken into the hospital because it was that bad like I couldn't breathe and then I think I think I remember I did wet my pants again and as soon as this happened this is when my mom and dad were like we need to take her to the doctor something is wrong with her you know she never wets her pants just so something was wrong um so then we ended up going to children's hospital again and um but like I said I was still going to like many doctor's appointments even on like not daily or not three times a week but I was still going to the doctors to get things you know treated and medications and seen by the doctor to maintain the neurotic disease but this time they had taken me and I remember my I remember my mom and dad having this like fear just complete fear in this in their face and they had told us that I was diagnosed with renal failure so they um that I one of my kidneys was bad they did a bunch of testing and all of that and that's when they diagnosed me with renal failure and I remember my mom looking just 
she was just so sad because she thought we had gotten over this tale of me getting sick and of them almost losing me again. You know, it was just one thing after another for me. So I can imagine my parents just being completely sad about it, you know, thinking, no, their daughter can't live a normal life. And, I mean, I admit it was during the age of 14, it was about to get a whole lot harder for me. Um, so they had to take, um, and this was like the second week of school that this all started to happen. And, you know, little all me, I was all excited because I got asked to a welcome back dance by the, by one of the boys that was sitting next to me. He had asked me to the welcome back dance. So I was all, you know, happy and excited and then this whole thing with my disease, um, my human pick and my kidney failure, you know, it just all hit at once. And they said that my kidney failed due to all the medication and the, I don't think it was my antidepressants. Well, it might have been most of them, yeah. It might have been most of them that it just, it was just too much. So it completely shot down my kidneys. Uh, they had then told my mom and dad that Children's Hospital told my mom and dad that they really didn't have a specialist that looked into or that did kidney transplants that they want. They didn't want to they didn't want to do another procedure on me that was that dangerous. So they wanted to send me to a very well-known hospital that is known for their kidney failures and their kidney transplants. So from there, while we were going through the process to get admitted and seen by specialists at UCLA, um, I started, uh, my parents took me out of school. I had to be homeschooled uh, full on. And I had to go through my favorite, I had to go through dialysis three times a week. And this was very, very tough on my parents. So um, due to me getting more sick, we did have to move again just because, you know, me needing dialysis three times a week. And then, so, I mean, it was a lot. It was a lot for me. And then, you know, we had to take my brother Aaron out of school. Well, I think they waited till we we were both done with school. But we had to start different schools. So, I mean, it was a lot. And thinking back, it was a lot for my brother, too. It was just a lot on him. And I remember uh, we had to do that. So then we ended up moving it ended up moving with my aunt on my dad's side just for a little while until we found an appointment so um I was there you know we lived there she would 
watch over me and my brothers, take um, take my brother to school, and then I would have school at their house. My my homeschool teacher would come over to their house, uh, and then I would go. Um, and then I would go through dialysis, and I. I love my nurses, but I hated dialysis. It was the worst thing ever because it was hard because there were so many things that were taken away from me for like, you know, you have to be on a strict diet, which, I mean, a diet is fine, even, you know, but I'm talking about you had to limit your water, and limiting my water was so difficult. Sometimes I would just drink too much when I wasn't supposed to, which caused them to have to take off more, and it would, um, during this time, I was just, I was, I was weak than ever. I was very fatigued. I was tired all the time. I was exhausted. I was depressed more than ever. Uh, it was a hard time, you know, dialysis put a lot of strain on my body and on my family as well. And I used to think, and I don't think that now, but I used to think um, that my sickness and my illness caused my parents to divorce. And I used to think this when I was younger, just because, you know, um, it was just a hard time when they, were, they got divorced, not just for me, but for my brothers as well. But a part of me when I was younger, I always thought that, you know, somehow I was the reason why they got a divorce. But it wasn't. I mean, it was just, you know, parents fall out of love sometimes, you know. And people fall out of love, so sometimes they just have to move on. But I remember that was the most difficult time of my life, especially, you know, as it was just me, my dad, and my brothers, or me, my mom, and my brothers. It was just hard, and then not that my parents weren't always involved in my health, because they always were, no matter what happened, you know, my, one of them was always there to help me get through it but I hated dialysis just because every time if they took too much out of me I would have seizures just because I was too dry um I remember one time I had a bad bad seizure and my I don't know how he did it it was I don't know how he did it, but I remember one day my dad took me to dialysis and we were getting ready to go home. And I think we were on the freeway and 
um <laughs> my dad and me used to always stop for like mcdonald's even when like you know my dad gave me a little cheat cheat thing sometimes so he would take me to mcdonald's um when it was a difficult day for me and i remember one time i had my, my mcdonald's ready and i think i was eating something i was eating something and i remember saying dad or saying daddy i have butterflies and then that's it i just went into a seizure and i don't know how he did it but i just he had one hand on me or one hand trying to prevent me from biting my tongue because when you have seizures you you can twitch a lot or you can shake a lot and you can cause yourself to hurt yourself during during this process but i remember my um i just remember him putting his hand on me and like just me just going into a seizure after that i didn't i don't remember anything i don't know how he got over to the other side of the freeway i don't know how he did it but excuse me but he did my dad got all the way over to the other side of the freeway while his little girl was having a seizure like oh my goodness <laughs> but you know my mom and dad had to deal with that constantly and it was just the scariest thing i i hate it sometimes when my brothers didn't like you know they had the day off or they weren't from school or they couldn't get watched because they would have to go with us not that i didn't enjoy their company i've always enjoyed their company they they um they make me feel so loved um but a part of me just didn't like them going and them having to see their sister hooked up to like machines or going into a seizure um it's just something i never wanted them to see just i mean they know about it now and they know you know hey sister's sick she can't do a lot of things um but that never stopped me i always tried to um go beyond what i could do just because i had that much faith in myself i don't know my brother has um my brother nick he always he was like my little fighter for me anywhere we went someone looked at me dirty or talked about me or oh my gosh look at her look at she's fat or whatever he was just my little protector <laughs> still is till this day um so i mean for that going through that hard time of dialysis and going through seizures it was hard for me because i didn't like my brother saying that um I didn't like them knowing that you know sister gets seizures. That was just difficult for them to see. I remember one time after. I remember one time during one of my seizures, they had to take Nick out of the room because it was just me, my mom, and Nick. I think my brother Aaron was in school, but I remember that. they had to take Nick out of the room just cuz I had a really really bad one and they had to put oxygen in my nose and 
I just remember looking at his poor, poor little face, his poor little baby face. And he was just so terrified. Um, and that's just something that always scares me. I like even till this day when I'm in the hospital, I just hate them saying things like that. But I know they understand, and I know they try to help their sister the best way that they can. Um, so during dialysis, you know, that went on for like six years. Um, there was some complications with my blood, so something that prevented me more from getting a kidney transplant. And, you know, every time they said no to me, it just, it made me more depressed, you know, it made me more sad, it made me more, oh my gosh, you know, I'm never going to get to have my transplant or live a normal life. So during that time, it was just, it was hard for me. It was hard for my, my family, but they were always there for me. And my my friend from the second grade, she actually stood friends with me all the way up till God. She she was my friend for a while. She made it all. She helped me through everything during that time. Um. So yeah. Um. This podcast is gonna be a little shorter today. Um, just because I am back in class, so I'm trying to keep my focus on that. Um, I hope everybody has a good day or a good night. Uh, thank you for listening.